Sox fans, welcome to Good Guys Talk Back, a fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast for the love of the Sox. Hosted by Nick Borowski and Pat Hester. Hey Sox fans, welcome to episode 121 of Good Guys Talk Back. I am Nick Morowski and this is a fan-centric local Chicago White Sox podcast recording just blocks from the ballpark in beautiful Bridgeport. You can find this podcast everywhere you find your podcast. Simply subscribe. Every new episode heads into that inbox. Pass it along to other Sox fans and find us on the shycitysports.com website. They've got some great Chicago-centric content and some very comfortable and affordable Good Guys Talk Back t-shirts. Pat Hester is on assignment. He will be back with us next time. Uh, The Sox, as I record, we're going to put a stamp on this, Wednesday evening, August 4th, Sox are sitting nine and a half games up on Cleveland. They're in the middle of a series with Kansas City. Took the first game last night, 63-44. and Uh, It's a tough August, though. We've got a ton to get to on what's been happening with the Sox team so far and what lies ahead. It's the big Crosstown Classic uh, this weekend. Uh, We're going to discuss just the history and and how is this maybe different moving forward, obviously, with everything that's happened. Uh, Pat Hester isn't here, but I am delighted and privileged to be joined uh, by a, a good friend of mine, fellow podcaster. Uh, he's got a great, great uh, podcast called Bet on Chicago. He'll tell us where to find everything when we bring him in. Joey Christopoulos, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Nick, my friend, uh, longtime listener, first-time <laughs> guest on the GGTB. Am I going to be Joe Borchard? Am I going to be Gavin Sheets? I don't know. Let's find out. <laughs> Let's find out. I'm so happy I, I have had a, a treat talking to you on on the fine work that you do. Just before we get into everything, so we can give everybody an idea, you do a ton of stuff. L- let let us know where we find everything. So I work for the Believe Podcast Network. That's B L E A V dot com is probably the quickest way to find us. As you mentioned, I host the show Bet on Chicago, covers all Chicago sports, Sox and Cubs, and all the other sports teams in town, as well as pop culture, movies and anything Midwest that you might love. And then I also host Believe in Bears with my new co-host, Corey Wooten, the man who ended Brett Favre's career. Uh, I'm so excited and privileged, and uh, that's the best way to find me. Also, Instagram, Christopoyos, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-O-L-L-O-S, Chicken of Christ. Uh, it is, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting week uh, that we have on our hands here. Uh, and I do want to get, we're going to spend a lot of time talking Cub Sox. Um, I want to give everybody listening just some background on you, though, and you're obviously going to fill in a lot of this. Uh, you're, you're in L.A. right now. You're, you're, you're in L.A., you transplanted, but you have got deep, deep uh, roots uh, in Illinois and in the Chicagoland area, growing up in the suburbs, living in the city for a long time. A uh, big fan of every team, and that does include Cubs and Sox. If you could just give me a little insight on how you got to become a, both a Cubs and Sox fan. Well, Nick, it's 2021. Uh, we, you know, <laughs> I'm pretty fluid. No, so the long short of it is, uh, the long short of it is, I was raised on the North Shore. I was raised in the Wilmette Evanston area, so I'm right next to that Purple Linden, uh, that Purple mm-hmm. Linden L track. 
so I can easily take the train down to Wrigley. And I grew up, uh, my family was a White Sox fan. They're all White Sox fans throughout the family. If you remember when I'm my formative years, Frank Thomas, Alex Fernandez, Black Jack, those amazing teams, 91, 92. My aunt also dated the general manager, Ron Schuler. Wow. For many years throughout wow. The yes. So I'm a young kid. I love baseball deeply. So this is going to infuriate people. But sometimes the best part about being a Cubs and White Sox fan is when growing up, they weren't playing at the same time. So I would come home from school and it was that seventh, eighth inning of the Cubs for me of watching Wrigley Field, you know, listening to Harry Carey. The Cubs would be up 3-2. They'd lose 4-3. Bada bing, game over. And then I just kind of grew up a White Sox fan throughout the 90s and was close with Ron Schuler. got to go to a bunch of games. I'd sit next to Kenny Lofton's family, so on and so forth. But then I go to high school, growing up in the North Shore area. One of my best friends, his parents own Sluggers. All my buddies own all the merch stands around Wrigley Field. And I got down there and got a chance to be around that experience. And Cubs played during the day, Sox played during the night. So six hours of baseball always seemed cool to me. And the way that I always kind of describe it to people is I'm a Cubs fan with my heart. I'm a Sox fan with my head. (laughs) Uh, The the White Sox, Comiskey, the sell, guarantee rate, whatever you want to call it. That is a place where professional baseball happens. Um, The ballpark (laughs) is catered towards a baseball experience, the fireworks after the home run, all that good stuff. The Cubs, there's always the the bubbles and the ambiance and the history and everything behind it. And a lot of times a Cubs fan can maybe not pay attention to the game as much as maybe some of the other atmospheric things going around there. So I'm both, man. I'm both. I love it. Interleague play really threw a wrench into that plan about 20 years ago, but uh, I I seem to come through all right. Yeah, you are uh, very smart and uh, you you well-spoken on both Cubs and Sox. And and that's rare, Joey. I have not experienced a lot of people and I really don't seek them out, I guess. But uh, when you, you know, converse with folks, uh, you know, family, friends over the years, you know, there might be people that root for both, but that are very invested and are knowledgeable about both teams. So wanted to make sure uh, we got you on as we're leading up to the Crosstown Classic. First and foremost, though, we're going to get into Sox. Uh, you follow uh, you follow the Sox closely uh, in L.A. And, and you can with, you know, all the great you know opportunities, MLB TV, the devices, everything like that. Um, Sox, you know, <sighs> they're up nine and a half games and they, they help themselves, which we're going to get to. Um, I guess I want to focus on that nine and a half game lead right now because their, their schedule in August is going to be rough Uh, as a, as a Sox fan, knowing the history. Okay. Let's specifically 2005 where that 15 game lead went to one and a half. Are you comfortable with nine and a half right now where you can maybe rest guys and you can kind of, be on your heels a little bit, or are you like me, Joey, like nine and a half is not a lot. We, we, every one of these games we need to be playing, we need to be up double digits right now. I'm right there with you. Now the nine and a half is an excellent cushion for some of the things that I think this White Sox team kind of needs to work through a little bit where one, it's such a cliche, but dude, we're in the dog days right now. Right. I mean, we're starting to kind of see it offense, maybe I don't want to say sputtering, but kind of been a little quiet recently. I think we're going to talk about some individual performers coming up pretty soon. You know, Rodon's been slowing down a little bit. We got some new faces in the bullpen. We're still kind of waiting for Robert Grandal to come back. I mean, Aloy's back in the lineup, but, you know, 
uh, groin tightness. Let's get him 10, 12 straight days. And I'm with you, man. I mean, let's look at the schedule real quick. They got a really interesting nine-game stretch coming up with the Royals, the Cubs, and the Twins. You've been beating up on the Twins all year long. Got to continue to do that. And as we talked on pre-pod, I think it's August 12th through the 25th. Yankees, Blue Jays, A's lightens up a little bit. But then again, in September, we still see the A's, I think, again. And I think we see the Red Sox. Boston, yeah. Yeah, we see Boston in there. So there's a world where we could be walking in September 1st up 12 games. But it's Mm -hmm. more of an in-house issues that I think that we need to iron out right now and take care of our own business that's going to be able to get us there. I know the Indians are up the track, but we just can't we can't count on that stuff. I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to do a Travis Hafner uh, of 2005 all over <laughs> again. I'm not. No thank. Yeah, I I will always be keeping an eye on the uh, standings. I mean, I do in the beginning of April, and I, I don't want to play the game of like, well, at least Cleveland lost, or is Cleveland losing? That of course helps, and it makes sense with the magic number. But to your point, uh, the the in-house stuff, I just want to be playing good baseball. And, of course, you want to be playing healthy baseball. You know, hopefully Aloy stays now on this club and that that groin discomfort, that groin pull that, you know, that's that's behind us. We get Robert back soon. We get Grandal back soon. And that's wonderful. There's going to be, you know, some growing pains, though, with those guys, of, of course. The guys, though, that I'm worried about, uh, that, you know, this last like 15 game stretch, Mancada, Abreu, Anderson, um, cold, you know, in an unfortunate time. However, you know, because of our pitching, we're still maintaining that nine and a half lead. Uh, I want to start with Abreu. Uh, I was at the game yesterday and he just seems overmatched. He seems really like he's trying is he battling something is he hurt you know the guy never wants to take a day off what have you seen with Abreu lately you're hitting it right on the head and and you've come on my pod and we've talked about this before the dude is a gladiator right I mean he got hit in the face what four or five days ago stays in the game he got into a collision with Hunter Dozier Hunter Dozier goes on the IL you don't see him for forever Abreu stays in the game and then tries to play in that second game of the doubleheader. I think he's dealing with a lot of stuff. You've seen with Abreu in the past, that bat speed on inside fastball, his ability to be able to turn over it. I think he's just kind of in between on it a little bit. And look, we're complaining about a guy who's got 80 RBIs right now. Right, yeah. In the American League. Here's what I will say about Jose Abreu. Now, I'm a big stats guy. I'm a big stats historical dude. So let me just read off to you real quick. Jose Abreu's career splits – in August, the month of August, in his career, in 188 games in August, he's hitting 334. He's got a 391 on base. He's got a five. Want to get that right? 593 slugging, uh, 120 runs scored, 142 RBIs in 188 games, and 46 home runs. Now, people could say, "Is that a coincidence?" I personally like to think of that more as this is a Braves' time of year. There's a rhythm mm-hmm. thing. He's a professional. At some point, something really clicks. The weather's just right. And all of a sudden, you know, balls start flying out of the yard. I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with Abreu. I think he is in like a one for 22 slump right now. Average down to 240. Still getting it done with runners on base. Hitting 290 with runners on base. But I'm going to be really interested to see over the next three weeks whether we see an Abreu awakened offensively. And, man, if I could just throw it back at you, 
it has been pretty impressive, right, that we've done all this without truly a, a fantastic or even more of a ho-hum Jose Abreu season. Uh, wouldn't you agree? I mean, the way it was. Yeah, it's that's a great point. Um, you know, we have talked uh, when I've come onto your podcast or, you know, uh, obviously all of the other White Sox chatter that goes on this season is the role players, the guys that step up. Uh, you know, we just saw Brian Goodwin uh, this past sa- Sunday, you know, walk it off. Uh, Lurie has had moments, but, you know, we can get to him. Uh, obviously, guys like Vaughn that are finding their swing and, and proving that, like, we need to find a consistent spot in the lineup for you. And, of yeah. course, it goes to pitching. Um, the other guy offensively that uh, has been giving me some just some nightmares uh, is Mankata. And he, it seems like he's kind of reverted back to the 2018 taking pitches, uh, which, you know, that taking, always taking that first pitch and, and pitchers almost, they, they've got the playbook on him. And his strikeout numbers over the last two, three weeks have gone way up. Um, it just doesn't seem like he's attacking. He's a guy that, you know, has struggled with some injury stuff. Um, thoughts, concerns, worries, or, you know, is this just maybe the dog days for Mankata? Of all the guys that you mentioned, the Abreu, Anderson, Mankata, I'm probably most concerned about Mankata right now. Now, I don't think he's playing terrible to play, but like you said, it does. I don't see any of the aggressiveness right now. My big question with Abreu constantly, or I'm sorry, with Mankata, is that I'm just always trying to figure out what is the right spot for him in the lineup. He seemed to do pretty well in that two hole for a while. You know, his OBP gets up close to 400. We really like that number. And now that we've kind of sort of moved him over to maybe more of the meat, maybe even more of the second half moving forward in the last month and a half, I'm just kind of curious about him. He has all the tools, right? It's a frustrating experience. His swing is so beautiful when he connects. He's hit a couple home runs in the last couple of weeks, which has been nice, but the home run totals are still very low. Man, when he connects, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. sound. And, yeah, I, is he – is he thinking too much? Is it a nitpicking kind of situation where I'm with you? I wish he was a little bit more aggressive. And again, a guy that if we can get him going a little bit more, it's going to do wonders for this lineup. And again, another guy who hasn't necessarily had to carry us this season, but only if he can get it going could be a boon to the offense. Yeah. And the only reason I, you know, I nitpick and split hairs on these guys is because, you know, when Aloy and Robert and Grandal hopefully come back, we don't necessarily want to lean on those guys right away and say, well, you need to be producing right away. Uh, I, I would hope the guys that traditionally are cooking for us, you know, T.A., Mancada, Abreu, they get going soon. So then Aloy and Robert and Grandal don't feel the pressure too much. Um, I've said Aloy's name a few times. You've said his name. Uh, he's thankfully back in the lineup uh, after having some uh, groin discomfort, pulling a groin muscle uh, in the Kansas City series last week. Joey, it, he made a couple plays in left field when he was out there. Maybe he, you know, stretched something, you know, you know, and he he was running to first base, trying to beat out every single little infield single, you know, or any, any ball hit in the infield, you know, I, I, Hey, you, I don't think you can keep him at DH forever, but I, this is just my take. I never want anybody to get hurt ever, but maybe this, maybe this groin situation was like a weird I hate to say blessing in disguise, but 
Now, Sox Brass and, and Tony can say, okay, we saw what happened there. Uh, yes. Now let's scale it back. Do you see what we're talking about here, Aloy? You have to be at DH. Have you seen something similar to that? It is a blessing in disguise, man. This is so crucial because these are going to be the moves that we're going to be that are going to be under the magnifying glass come playoff time with Tony Larusa, right? And here's my new analogy with Aloy. Letting Aloy play left field, you're going to have to do it, I think, throughout the next whatever. We have seven weeks left of the season. I think you're going to see him pretty often and maybe sprinkle in some DH spots here. The only problem with that is you are probably going to lose a bat like Aloy from the 7-8 ninth inning. Luckily, we have a bullpen that we feel pretty good about or maybe that won't hurt us so much. But come postseason time, I think he's our DH, and he's going to have to wrap his head around that, and he's just going to have to live with that, especially if he wants to play nine innings. Letting him play left field, it isn't so much that he's a bad left fielder. As you mentioned, he tries hard. He was running hard, making, trying to make all the plays out there. But the issue is it's like trying to allow a child to learn how to ride a bike next to some sort of gradually steep hill. And you want to let go of the handles and let the kid ride the bike, but they're slowly just steering towards that steep hill and can go down it at any moment. Yeah. And it's, it's protecting him from himself. It isn't even a matter of can he do the job? It's really a matter of it's risk management. So I definitely do think you're going to see him a lot in left field at times. Again, they are going to have to pull him, though, as a defensive replacement late in games, especially when they're winning. I think come postseason, though, I think they all need to maybe sit down in the office and explain to Aloy, we need you in the lineup every single night. You are going to be our DH in October. Yeah, um, with with all of these guys coming back, you know, Tony's got, you know, some work cut out for him to figure out, you know, we, we yeah. were just discussing Mancata, where to put him in the lineup, but where, you know, you got Hernandez now, who's been sitting in the second hole, which I get, um, where does Grandal, who gets on base a ton, does he go back into that, like, two hole where, where, where he, you know, was he was at for a little bit? You you want to get your lineup set, you know, before postseason play. So hopefully those guys do come back sooner than later. So Tony can start playing around with the lineup and seeing where guys are going to be hitting comfortably. Um, yeah, can I can I ask you real quick? I just want to ask yeah. you a quick question about Grandal because from what I understand is hopefully we're going to get him back in a couple of weeks. Per an article that I read on the Athletic, and you've had James Feen mm-hmm. on here yeah. before. They and I think it was him reporting it was that a part of what the, caused the injury in the first place and the part of why Grundell started hitting the ball at the ballpark was he was finally able to unload and torque on that knee and kind of complete that swing. He was able to kind of add a little bit more aggression to the finish on his swing. When we get Grandal back, who do you think we're going to get? Are we going to get the guy that's just a high OBP guy? Or do you think it's a guy that's going to be able to turn on some pitches? And conversely, does that make him a cleanup hitter? Or does that mean maybe we hide him in between Aloy and Luis Robert, guys who are technically kind of lower OBP guys. Yeah, I would say the hiding part is what I'm thinking about. And I think it's I think the power is gonna it's gonna take some time to come back. You're absolutely right. It was all about the legs. And once his knee and some of the spring training leg issues were fully healed, I think he even said to Steve Stone too, like get ready. These balls are going to start flying out. Like I now feel like I've got my legs underneath me. Um, you know, he's played a little first base. Um, you know, I could see him maybe splitting time. If, if Gavin sheets is a casualty to the roster, 
Sheets has spent some time at first base, maybe Grandel, you know, takes a break every now and then, not necessarily then locking up the DH, you know, a Bray would DH it. There's a lot of issues. There are a lot of things to think about when everybody's when everybody's back. And that's everything's going great, but it's not clean right now. You know what I mean? It's not the cleanest ride. And, and these next couple of weeks, I think, are real opportunities to kind of yeah. iron stuff out. And, and that's where going back again, it's like you hope as a Sox fan, we could get a 12 to 13 game lead. So we don't mm-hmm. feel so much pressure trying to get things back. Uh, to normal or normalizing a situation to get it ready for the postseason. Um, I mean, let's let's talk postseason. Let's let's and and to get into postseason, we have to talk about the trade deadline. Um, you know, you're gonna. I, I really want to hear your perspective uh, as a Cubs fan of what happened. There were there were crosstown trades going on. I couldn't believe the amount actually. Uh, you know, Cubs gave us Kimbrel to Para. And uh, we sent uh, Madrigal and Hoyer, I mean, the most notable names um, to the north side. Um, your thoughts on what the Sox did, I guess, at trade deadline? In terms of Ryan Tapera, let's just start here. He's having a great year. He's a bullpen guy. Let's just keep, let's just hope that keeps rolling. I mean, obviously, we don't have Evan Marshall. That's been kind of a problem all year long, and we lost Hoyer. So now we need that guy in the sixth or seventh inning. His sliders looked really good all year long. He's been pretty locked in. And this is kind of typical of bullpen guys. When they're on, they're on. When they're off, they're off. This is his on year. I will tell you guys right now, Craig Kimbrell is incredible. He's having an incredible year. And we have seen him at his lowest. And Boston Red Sox fans know very, very well that they could not trust him in a World Series. But I don't think there is any, any doubt right now that this guy is on top of his game right now in a way that I haven't seen in quite some time. I completely respect Tony LaRusa being consistent all season long saying, you know, this is a team of earners. So we're not going to take your spot away. You have to earn everything you get. So I do like Hendricks staying in that ninth inning role right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you told me to answer door number one, door number two, as of right now, and Hendricks is having a great year, I might pick Ken, uh, Kimbrell as the closer. I really wow. but wow. I like I like what Tony LaRusse La is doing. Hendricks has earned it. You know what I mean? And you saw him like after they made that trade, he was stalking the mound, you know what I mean? After a couple yeah. of pitches, that fastball was kicking 99, country 99. You know what I mean? So yeah. he's doing that competition as well. So I think for this season, I think it's a really great deal. I think Kimbrell having an option to keep him for another year moving forward is going to be great for the White Sox. I'm not saying you move on from Hendricks. I'm just saying all of a sudden now you have that one-two punch that you saw with what the Kansas City Royals had in what is that thing? It was 2012 or 2013, and they didn't have a, the greatest offense necessarily in the world. But once they got once that bullpen got going, mm-hmm. it was lights out. It was game over. Bring in your defensive replacements and let's just start counting the strikes and the outs. So from the Sox perspective, I thought it was necessary. I thought they did a great job. Cesar Hernandez, we needed defense, right? And, and we're talking postseason right now. That is my biggest concern with this team right now. I think we're the third worst in fielding percentage. We're the sixth worst in errors right now. It's just not a great, great defensive mix. Cesar Hernandez is a good defensive player. He's hitting the ball pretty decent now that he's up. So hopefully that keeps going. So I, I like these moves. And you know what? We can talk about Madrigal in a second, but I don't think we gave up anybody 
that it's going to be really hurting this organization moving forward. And that was my biggest fear of us and all these injuries this year and us still overpaying for somebody and it hurting us down the road. When I think that this window is not even a window, it's a, it's a barn door for the White Sox the next five years. I mean, it is wide open and they didn't do that and they made some good moves. So I think it's a huge win for the Sox. Yeah, I, after the Hernandez and Tapera moves, I, I said, okay, definitely division and, you know, probably deep into the playoffs. Um, I, we might need maybe another arm. Um, you know, I, I was toying with maybe a bat. But once the Kimbrel move went, that was, okay, this is, we're, we're, we're going for the pennant. Uh, we're going to represent the AL in the World Series. So uh, as a Cubs fan, Joey, um your thoughts about you know getting madrigal and hoyer what what did you feel what what did you know about those guys what did you like or maybe dislike and and real quick final thought on kimbrell just all the white Sox fans out there his era is about 0.48 right now so he will get hit at some point so everyone relax when that happens (laughs) it's the law of averages It it is life it is called balance he will get rocked at some point hopefully before october get it out of the system and be awesome yeah yeah. Um, in terms of the Cubs, interesting, right? I mean, when we did a pre-pod before the season started, I, I think both of us were really big on Cody Hoyer. I mean, mm-hmm. is that is the when we talk about embarrassment of riches on the White Sox bullpen side and how excited we were to see this bullpen, Hoyer was like the fourth or fifth guy. He was the Ringo star of like, oh, yeah, by the way, him over there. So mm-hmm. for the Cubs, they needed young, controllable arms. They needed a guy who could be a closer. I think Cody Hoyer is going to get that opportunity. And for them, they needed cost certainty. So they needed guys that had already come up onto the big league roster and can prove themselves right away. I'm dying to hear your thoughts on Nick Madrigal because, I, I you know, Nicky two strikes. He can be a fan yeah. favorite. I love him so much. I found him to actually be a really great blend in terms of the collection of the Sox hitters that we have. You know, we've got some mashers. We've got a couple OBP guys. Him in, the, in that nine hole I thought was – was pretty incredible for this team early on. And I think he was integral for them to have the type of offense that they've had this season. Um, do I think it's going to you know, cripple the franchise moving forward? No, you can find a second baseman anywhere. And maybe in the long term, Tim Anderson is a second baseman. Just saying, not saying now, but just saying, you know, what's, what's your take on Nick Madrigal leaving the Sox? Well, I, I looked at, a, obviously, he's not going to play the rest of this year because of a hamstring issue. And if they're going after it this year, if the Sox are going after it this year, what they absolutely are right now after these moves, then he is, he is expendable, you know, because he he's not going to be on this roster if that's a weird meta way of thinking about it. Now, long term, yeah, you can replace a second baseman. Um, I was starting to get really excited about his offense abilities. Uh, he flexed a little bit of power. He was a table setter. He kind of reminded me, uh, since we spent a lot of time talking about 2005, he reminded me a little bit of a Gucci, uh, second baseman. He could kind of slap that hit when you needed it, hit something up the middle. Um, he was starting to collect you know, several games with multiple hits. Uh, his defense was a problem. Uh, and, and, you know, that might... That might figure itself out, but it's not like he changed positions, if I'm not mistaken. I think he's always been a second baseman, so that was a little confusing. It felt like like the the up-the-middle stuff, just with his height and his arm strength, the the up-the-middle stuff was really difficult for him. And then, yeah, he was booting pretty normal ground balls um, that just seemed sort of like, you know, kind of some youth, 
you know, maybe yeah. some fundamental stuff moving forward. But again, yeah. the White Sox team that already has that kind of problem, you know, you do have to have a bit of a mix uh, along the way. And so moving on from Magical, maybe long term, might have yeah. been the best move for the Sox. Yeah, I, 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 there was some rumors that maybe Crochet was a guy that they were also uh, interested in. And I even heard something like the Cubs were able to pick if it was Crochet or Madrigal. I don't know if that's yeah. true. And they decided to go with Madrigal. Um, I don't know. Maybe you don't need an arm like crochet right now in terms of the Cubs, but if you wanted to groom that arm to be a starting pitcher, it's going to take maybe a couple years, but I, I don't know. I'm, Hey, I was getting high on Nikki two strikes, but for what we got and, and the attitude of let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's focus on today. I like what the Sox did. Um, this tomorrow too. You keep him for next year. You have a for next year, and he wants to stay in Chicago. And that correct. really, really helps things out. I think when you make a deal like that. Yeah, uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, weekend. We've got the Crosstown Classic happening. I call it the Crosstown Classic because it used to be that one game that they played that was kind of an exhibition game. Um, it's the Crosstown series. Uh, it'll be in Wrigley this weekend and it'll be on the South side, uh, later in the month of August. Um, it's, it's going to be such a bizarre series, uh, when the Sox head into Wrigley because of so many names that are gone. And I, and I want you to be able to talk about that as a Cubs fan, uh, Sox are trending in a completely different way that the Cubs are trending. I think a lot of baseball fans, a lot of Chicago baseball fans wanted to see this Sox team in their window and the Cubs still kind of in their 2015, 2016 window and them to be able to go at it too healthy. Still, they still have their superstars and we're not going to get that. Um, and we're not going to get that for a variety of different reasons that you might be able to touch on. Um, Bryant Rizzo Baez uh, all gone at the trade deadline what as a Cubs fan, I guess were you completely surprised? And if not, who were who were the names or one of the names that really um, maybe caught you off guard? I mean, personally, I'm just happy that we finally can get Frank Schwindel some at bats, uh, who was our first <laughs> baseman last night, and I watch every game. And I have no idea who that person is. Um, no, it's been it's been emotional. It's been devastating. And I am totally on board with the concept of White Sox fans don't care. But if you could, White Sox fan, imagine what it would be like if they traded Burley, Canerco, and Creedy in an hour mm -hmm. in 2007 or 2008. It's really like that. I mean, in terms of the surprise there, KB is not a surprise. They've known about it for a long time. His agent is Scott Boris. Scott Boris always takes his clients to free agency. The Cubs wanted him to maybe take a hometown discount to stick around. Boris don't play like that. So that was always a fait accompli that he was going to kind of move on. And we were sort of asking ourselves, you know, would they pick Baez? You know, who do they sign up? The real surprise was, An it was Anthony Rizzo. Mm -hmm. That was honestly the real shocker there. Now, of course, what they're, you know, they're positing is that, you know, we would have walked to the edge of the cliff with this team. And we would have gone to the very end with them if they were a winning team, but they weren't a winning team. And this is why we traded everyone. Well, you know, sometimes when you trade you Darvish in the offseason for a Zach Davies, you take a guy like John Lester, another another big name 
in Cubs history who you paid top dollar for, who you bet yeah. in Chicago. Yeah. He, he wants to stay in the offseason and he goes, Hey, give me four million. You can give me two up front and pay me the rest in, in future investments. And they go, No, thanks. They kick him out the door. And then you sign guys like Trevor Williams and you sign Jacques Peterson and and it doesn't work out. And you go, oh, well, they weren't a winning team. It really puts an interesting amount of blame on a Cubs core that doesn't necessarily deserve it. I mean, are you going to give Anthony Rizzo a hard time for hitting 254 in a league that basically hits 235 this year? You know, it's all it's mm-hmm. all relative if you want to talk statistics. So, I mean, it's it's devastating. And I think I've been thinking a lot about because the White Sox are on the other end of this. Yeah. And the Cubs just went through it. And how how do you go about your business of rebuilding something? And the one thing that I keep thinking about with the White Sox that makes me so mad about the Cubs is no matter what happened with the White Sox, even after they traded Chris Sale and it wasn't working with Adam Eaton and, you know, Adam LaRoche and all the veterans that they were trying to get, they still kept Jose Abreu. Mm-hmm. Kept him the whole time. There was never that moment where the White Sox said to themselves, you know what? We could cash in big time if we sell Abreu now. Because you know what? I think they learned a valuable lesson. You're always going to be looking for a Jose Abreu. And conversely, the Cubs are always going to be looking for an Anthony Rizzo. So for every Cubs yeah. fan that says, hey, look, you know, we're just going to rebuild and we're going to be competing for championships again. Well, good luck trying to find those types of players. The Anthony Rizzos who not only represent that veteran professional presence on the field the guy who chokes up with two strikes and hits the ball the other way the guy that gets the sack fly you know what I mean to drive in or tie up tie up the game good luck trying to find that guy and also a dude that was able to impact the game off the field and that's what a guy like Jose Breu is you know what I mean you mm-hmm. can have all the talent in the world but you're you know you're a huge uh, a Breu fan just as much as me and you speak yeah. so eloquently about it on my pod about how important he is to the team and if you want to retool and rebuild and it's not working, that's fine. You still need building blocks. And I think getting rid of Anthony Rizzo was a gigantic mistake. And now the general manager is trading uh, some some comments with Anthony Rizzo. And it's kind of in that mode of it. It's a bit of a breakup right now. Yeah. And Cubs fans are choosing sides. And, you know, so it's it's just been it's been really sad. It was a great um, it was a great era for Chicago Cubs. But as we all know, and even on the south side, uh, rebuilds are not easy. They're not simple. You don't just snap your fingers and say, Hey, we can do this again. So it might be a long time on the North side until they have a winner again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the difference I think is the, you know, it wasn't a championship team necessarily that the Sox were trying to rebuild. It was just a direction. It was a mantra. It was an attitude. It's hmm. we've been kind of floundering for a while and Chris sale was your big asset. That was your big piece that you can kind of start that whole rebuild with. And um, it's, you know, and I guess when the Sox were rebuilding, the Cubs were, you know, winning the world series uh, in the first year of the, the first year of the Sox rebuild was 2017. And yeah, that was, was the first, you know, 08, 09. And uh, yeah, it might be like 08 or nine. The Michael Barrett, AJ Pruszynski years was kind of yeah. the only time when the Cubs and Sox would get together. Yeah. And they were both uh, competing at the same time. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, Hey, I, I wanted to get your perspective because like you had mentioned, um, it would be like if Paul Canerica was just, you know, gone after a few years of winning 2005, Joe Creedy, AJ Pruszynski, Burley. Um, but to, to your point on character with Jose Abreu, 
when we lost Canerico to retirement and Abreu was there for like a couple years or a year, it was like, we've got a new Canerico, you know, we've got a guy mm-hmm. that we can build around and yeah, he's, he's definitely a Reinsdorf guy. He's, he's protected and he wants to be here when this city, when this team is raising the trophy uh, without a doubt. Um, specifically about the city of Chicago, or let's start, I guess, with Cub fans, Joey. Are Cub fans going to still come out to see this team? Are they still going to support this team? Too early to tell? Is it just a toss-up? As of right now, from what I've spoken to with Cubs fans, and specifically season ticket holders, they're having a hard time getting rid of their tickets at face value. Mm-hmm. The only thing that I can guarantee right now is you want to know what game Cubs fans are going to? They're going to Yankees White Sox August 14th and 15th so that they could say goodbye to Rizzo. Wow. That is the only game, that is the wow. only game they're talking about right now is that 14th, 15th, because I think game one is the Field of Dreams game. It is, yeah. And then the other two are going to be at the, at guaranteed rate. That is all they care about right now. And yeah. And look, in terms of like the, the back and forth, who's going to run the city? I don't know, man. I mean, the, the, the Cubs-Sox thing is so interesting to me. There's a lot of psychology behind it. I think the White Sox never really get the the credit the, that they deserve. And I don't think they're ever really willing to like to share. You know what I mean? Like if they were to like own the city, they still would feel like they had that chip on their shoulder. Well, conversely, you know, the Cubs fans, I would maybe wager do Cubs fans even know anything about White Sox baseball? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like the, mm-hmm. when I talk to Cubs fans, they really don't pay attention to anything on 35th. Yeah. Um, so it is going to be a really interesting transition. And I will say that it is definitely setting up for this to be the city of Chicago to be a White Sox town. Yeah, I, 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 I think so. Um, you know, next Sunday's Crosstown a series game, the, the series finale is on national television. And I'm curious just to see what the stadium's going to look like. If Cub fans are going to decide not to go because – you know what, our team, our team might just get completely laughed out of the building and Sox fans want to go see that. They want to witness that. And it's just going to be black, you know, and the road grays, just a sea of those at Wrigley Field. I'm curious to see that um, because like that would play, that would play really interesting. That would be an interesting point on national TV if they bring that up of how these teams are trending. It just makes me think of like, uh, you, you and all of your friends who have are couples, you're all married, and you plan a couple's retreat. And four days before the couple's retreat, one of your friends gets divorced, and he still wants to come by himself to the couple's <laughs> retreat. Um, that's what it feels like. Cubs fans would be like stepping into guaranteed rate. Um, yeah. Can hold them if they want to go, but if I had to take a guess. And it looks like the White Sox crowds have been great recently. It looks like it's going to be predominantly yeah. south side. If I had yeah. To take a guess. yeah, it's uh... – it's such an interesting twist, and I, I really appreciate you coming on, Joey, um, because I, you know, I I converse with Cub fans. I've got some good Cub fan friends, but I wanted to really get the perspective, uh, especially at trade deadline, and how this kind of is going to impact uh, this series. And we just might not know, uh, and it, it's I'm assuming going to be impacting it for several years. So, uh, Joey, thank you so much for joining us, dude. Such a pleasure. Um, you and Pat are killing it. You're getting great guests. This is a great listen. Everyone listening to this one, thank you for checking it out. Stick with these guys because this is going to get really, really fun over the next seven weeks and then into October. 
They're going to keep bringing you guys great content. It's uh, my pleasure and honor, my friend. Always good. Yeah, to see you. Thank you, Joey. I, yeah, I, I look forward to some, uh, some playoff podcasts. That would be a real dream. Um, please uh, remind us again where we can find all your great stuff, Joey. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can check me out at Believe Podcast Network. If you just type in bet on Chicago, B-E-T on Chicago, when in doubt, bet on Chicago. Uh, for all your Chicago sports needs, pop culture, entertainment, man, I'm talking to a little bit of everybody on that on that one right there. And then also Believe in Bears co-host Corey Wooten. We got our first episode coming next week. We've got some great guests planned, and uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at Crystal Poyos, C H R I S T O P O L L O S. Crystal Poyos, Chicken of Christ, uh, for all your Chicago sports needs. Awesome, uh, Joey Christopoulos. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, Folks, we appreciate you listening once again to Good Guys Talk Back. It's a fan-centric Chicago White Sox podcast. You can find us on Twitter at GoodGuysTV. We also have a Facebook fan page you can check out. And, of course, on the ShyCitySports.com website, they've got great Chicago-centric content and Good Guys Talk Back t-shirts. Um, find us, pass us along to other Sox fans and get yourself out to the ballpark. Exciting times with this first place Chicago White Sox team. For Pat Hester, for Joey, I am Nick Morowski. Until next time, go Sox.